Today is a great day as we start a new year to to do a little bit of reflection, looking back on where God has brought us in 2011, and do a lot of looking forward. What kinds of things are we looking to see God do as a church, and where do we think God is moving at Village in the next year? But I want to start just by, by a little bit of word association. Give me one or two words that sum up 2011 for you. Over. Over. <laughs> okay. Unpredictable. New adventure. I'm not going to repeat that. But yeah, I, I, a difficult year. Difficult stretching. Who said stretching? Absolutely. New house and pregnant. New house and pregnant. So change. A <laughs> little bit of change there. That's stretching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. I'm, I'm going to leave that there. Um, what else? Edifying. Edifying? Amen. Joyful. Joyful. Accomplishment. Accomplishment. It's interesting as we think back and as we think through 2011 and 2012, one of the themes that I hear, I've heard as I talk to people about 2011 are, are some of the challenges. I've heard phrases like, see ya 2011, don't let the door hit you on your way out. And, and just sort of a, a joy that that's leaving. But I've seen an, a lot of optimism for 2012. And what's been amazing to me is as I, I reflected on 2011, there, there were a lot of things that were challenging for people. In our congregation, a lot of different struggles. But what, what I cling to is I, I watched our congregation and I watched each of you in your individual situations struggle. Not in a bad way, but continue. Continue the fight to persevere. To be able to say at the end of 2011, you know what, that was edifying. That was something I learned a lot from. Now we can move forward. And sometimes there's years like that. Sometimes there's years where there's so much change in life that our head is swimming and we're not even sure what year is coming next. But God is there and God is constant and God is faithful. I have to say the Vision Sunday is, is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. I, I, I'm like my kids on Christmas morning as they're just like jumping over the gifts and we're saying, well, you know, let's have breakfast first and, and let, let's... Let's read the Christmas story. You know what? Let's read more of the Christmas story. And they're like, Dad! <laughs> ah! And, and, and they're just jumping with excitement. And that's a little bit how I am on Vision Sunday because my, my nature is I love to, to look at what God has done and I love to look at what God might do and, and dream about that and, and see a vision for, for that of what, what might God do at Village. And that's what this morning's about. As an elder board and pastors and staff, we've been talking about that and and praying about that, and searching what is God's heart for village. You know, there's a lot of, of things that could happen in a church. But where does God want us to go? But this morning I'd like to start with a little bit of reflection, like I said. And looking back at 2011, why look back? Some might say, well, we never want to look back. We, you know, forgetting those things that are behind. And we use that verse to, to never remember what has happened in the past. But there's good reason to look back, not to live there, not to let it stop us, not to let it stifle what God wants to do. But the reason we look back, 
The reason that we say what has God done is to celebrate what God has done. To celebrate and remember the work of God. In Joshua 4, verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? They're looking back. They're remembering. Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And we know from those verses, it's right after the children of Israel have crossed the Jordan River miraculously on dry land. And God says, when you're in the middle, take a stone from the middle of what I've done, put it out because the water's going to come back, put it up on shore so you remember. So you remember. And give praise and give glory to God. So we're going to do some reflecting this morning. But as we think about reflecting, as we think about the future, I think the place to start... A message from the back. Is that better? The place to start, really, before we do those, is, okay, what are we about as village? What has God called us as a church to do? What is our vision statement? How do we put that into practice? And some of you might say, well, I heard this once five years ago. I know it. I'm good. And it's sort of the same concept of saying I love you in, in, in a marriage. You don't just say it once and say we're good. It's something that you repeat because it's something that we want to keep top of mind. And the same is true of vision in a church. What has God called us to do? What, what is different about village? So if we can put up that slide. And on the back of your notes, you'll see these, these there as well. At village, our, our vision statement is that we are building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him. Something that the elders met over a course of two years actually and prayed through each of those words and, and came up with those words and had retreats about that. What does God want to do at Village? Building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him. And something I love to do is say, okay, what word stands out to you? This morning we can be a little more interactive. Make sure we stay awake after staying up till 2. <laughs> what word stands out to you? Disciple. Why does disciple stand out to you? I know, I, sh- I shouldn't put people on this. No one's going to answer that. What, what about disciple? Kim or anyone else stands out to you. Why, why disciple? Well, it's the verb, it's the action word. It's the action word. It's what we're doing. Building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him. This, I'm not going to dig into that too much right now. We're going to go there a little later today. And that's, that's really the thrust of this year. Passing what you've learned in Christ to others. Discipling community. Good. What else stands out to you up there? Christ-focused. We could be a social club. We could get together, play a lot of fun games, have a wonderful time together, even pass on those games and pass on those traditions, and we have accomplished nothing of eternal value. The issue here is being Christ-focused, and that's one of our core values, is how do we build Christ-focused families that see God's work and God's ministry as their purpose for being a family? Then we get somewhere. Good. There was someone back here. What was that? Building. I love the word building in there because it's not like you're going to have one service and you're out the door and you're perfect. 
Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great for parenting? You know, one, one class and our kids are perfect. They're mature even at seven. And um, we're out the door. No, it's a process of building. And discipleship and building Christ-focused families is precept upon precept, step by step, that each year we can look back and say, we are closer to God. We are walking with God. Any others stand out to you? Eventually we run out of words, I know. What was that? Community. That's right. Because it, it, God doesn't want us to build these little, little holy huddles that never do anything for Him. He's asking us to go to our community. And that might mean the community around village, which we reach out to. That might mean the community in your neighborhood. That might mean the community in Kosovo, where we're sending Joel. We're reaching people for Christ, discipling them for Christ. As a church, we, we have, have chosen four different areas that we want to make sure that we're implementing, how we're implementing this. How do we put this into practice? And we have four different areas that we want to hit that will accomplish and help us accomplish this goal. And, and the first one is outreach. The idea of reaching out to our community, both here and abroad, to those around the world, locally and, and um, internationally, that need Christ. Sharing Christ with them. How are they going to hear the Gospel? How are they going to hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for their sins? The best story ever told. The best news ever told. And outreach is about making sure that that happens. A little hard to read, but then the next one is community. And, and so our next core value is building community within our church. A church body is to be a body. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all adopted sons and daughters, which means we're related. And it means that we're community. And how do we love each other? How do we encourage each other? How do we be devoted to one another, as Romans 12 says? Next step is spiritual growth. And next core value we have is spiritual growth, that we as a church are committed to always making growing in Christ part of what we do. That, that is an, a, a, an anchor that holds us true, that holds us firm to why we're here and why we're to be a church. And so we study God's Word. We, we challenge you to read God's Word. We memorize God's Word. We do those things that are helping us grow spiritually. And then finally, the last quadrant up there is ministry. As a, a healthy Christian walk includes ministry, something outside of ourselves, using the gifts that God has given us to minister to other people. And in those four areas, we implement building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him. And these, these areas really are stepping stones, if you think of them, as the Christian walk. And not that we just do one at a time, but outreach is when you heard about Christ for the first time. When you heard about the good news of the cross and the resurrection and, and the need for Christ. And then community, you start to touch, touch hands and, and see faces of other believers and realize what a family of God looks like. And somewhere in those two people that, that come to Christ, that's where they do that. They come to Christ and they give their life to Him and they come to a saving knowledge of Him. And then once we become believers, spiritual growth happens throughout our entire life. And then as we, we mature as believers and as we realize our responsibility as believers, 
ministry flows out of that. And we'll talk, we'll bring this up again a little bit later and talk about, okay, where do we go next with that? But knowing where we're going is, is vital. We have a cat that's getting a little older. And, and, um, she's been part of our, our lives for a long time now. Sad to see her getting older, but she's losing her vision. And, and especially in different lightings, she doesn't have a lot of vision. You can walk by her and she doesn't even know you're there and you, you touch her and she just like jumps because she's scared to death and didn't know you were there. But the hardest thing to watch is she'll walk along and just run into walls and, and run into doors. And, and very, very softly, but it's just painful to watch because she doesn't know where she's going. And so you end up hitting walls. And the same is true as a church. If we don't have a clear idea of where we're going, then we're just spinning our wheels and we're hitting walls and we're not accomplishing what God wants us to. We're not going where God wants us to. So that's what this is about. How are we doing at outreach? How are we doing at community? How are we doing at spiritual growth? How are we doing at ministry? Thinking back to 2011, to some of what God has done, it's interesting. New Year's always brings out all the, all the lists, doesn't it? Top sports plays of 2011, top news events, top this, top that. One list I was looking at was um, silliest lawsuits of 2011. Some of them were pretty silly. But think through some of the list of, of events that happened, newsworthy events that happened in, in 2011. We saw a debt ceiling battle and many political battles. Politics have been on the forefront. We saw an earthquake hit the Washington, D.C. area. We saw Joe Paterno fired at Penn State in a sex abuse scandal there. Steve Jobs died this last year. We saw the rise of the Occupy movement with Wall Street and everywhere else that, that could be occupied. World population touched the 7 billion mark. We saw one of our representatives, Representative Gifford, shot early in the year. We saw Gaddafi killed. Egypt's Hosni Mubarak forced from power. Kim Jong-il passing away. Osama bin Laden killed. One of the top news stories of the year was we, we saw an earthquake hit Japan and the, the following tsunami and what happened there with the people and with the churches there. A lot of events in 2011. But when I reflect back on what God did at Village, the list is just very different. The list is very different. When you're in the middle of it, you don't necessarily see what, what all God is doing and what all God accomplished, but this is the list of some of the things that I, I thought through of what God was doing at Village this last year. And we, we reflect to bring glory to God. We saw several accept Christ. Adults and children give their lives to Christ for the first time. For me, the list could end there. And I'd be good. I'd be good. But it doesn't. We saw Sunday school classes growing and multiplying and feeding people. We saw people coming to prayer Sundays and realizing that a commitment to prayer is essential to a health of a church. We saw the beginning of community groups on, on a larger scale. And, and as I've, I've talked to people in community groups and watched their interaction deepen with God's Word, and deepen with each other, it's been an incredible thing. We saw a missions conference come back, and our involvement in our missionaries 
expand. And we, we see Joel going to the missions field and Heather was out on the missions field in the summer. Things that are signs of a church that cares about reaching people with Christ, with the Gospel of Christ. Amazing things. Things that God has been moving in the hearts of our church. We've seen continued involvement in ministry and increased involvement in ministry. We've seen membership. A number of people become members this year and membership is up. And it's not about the numbers of saying attendance is up, but for me, that signifies a commitment to the body. And so we've seen people committing to the body of Christ, committing to community here and loving each other. We've seen a number of men interacting with the Men of the Sword blog and starting to think through what does it mean to be a godly man. We've seen Second Harvest continue another year when many many people and many would have thought, oh, it would have died by now. It's sort of run its course. The excitement's gone. But no, it's not about the excitement. It's about a commitment to serving Christ and reaching our community for Him. And this last Christmas, we had just as many people, if not more, at Second Harvest in our Project Christmas Touch than we've had in, in a couple of years. It's a testimony to what God is doing at Village. This last year, we finished up our, two year, our first two years of, of the Bible reading plan. And in talking with some of you, some of you just were, were able to stay on track and get through the whole thing. Others were able to pick it up month by month but we were a people in God's Word, saturating ourselves with God's Word. I praise God for what He has done. Because He has blessed areas of outreach and of community and spiritual growth and ministry. It's been a good year. It's been a year where we've seen God do some amazing things. But this morning, we want to look ahead and say, okay, what might God do this next year? What might God do this next year? And, and as, as, as we meet as elders and staff and pastors, I want to be careful not to say, what will God do this next year? None of us are God. We don't know what He will do. He is sovereign. He will do what He, he will do. But God, through, through godly men and women, has given ideas and insight and through prayer and seeking what He is doing, we've come up with where we believe God is looking for us to go this next year. Again, in the world, there's all kinds of, of things coming this next year. Olympics are coming. Pretty exciting. You know, little things. Olympics coming. Election. Electing a new president. Um, leap year. We're adding a day this year. Even while one of the islands takes a, year, a day away. Um, so we're messing with the calendar. Little things. The world's supposed to end this year. <laughs> Little things. And, and actually, though, December, I, it's not about the world ending, it's about the release of The Hobbit, but for those that are um, <laughs> into that. All kinds of things are happening this next year, but where are we going? What is God calling for us to do at Village? And if we look at our, our vision statement, building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him, We'd like to focus on that word disciple this next year. We say that this is what we're about. We say that this is what is a distinctive of village. So this year, we want to make sure we're doing it and focusing on it and, and, and helping us be a church that disciples. 
So our theme for this next year is Reproduce, Called to Disciple. Reproduce, Called to Disciple. If you look at the circle, we we talked about outreach, community, spiritual growth, and ministry. And that's part of our growth and our development, our sanctification as believers. But the arrow continues. Do you notice that? The arrow doesn't stop there because then it comes back around to outreach, community, spiritual growth, and ministry. And the idea is, as I walk with God, then I help someone else go through those steps. I then, as the circle goes back around, and in the logo you see a little circle on the O, as, as God has taught me those things, and as other believers teach me those things, then I teach other people those things. I pass those things on. Take someone else that is a, a younger believer. Take a, a brother or a sister in Christ and say, okay, have you heard the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? How are you doing at community? And, and, and for a young believer, maybe that's helping them fit into community. Maybe that's helping them find community. Helping them learn how to be in community. Spiritual growth. How do I help someone else learn to walk with God? Does that sound a little daunting? Right there, it's like, wow, that's holy ground. That's sacred ground. But we're going to talk about that this year. How do I help someone else in their spiritual walk? How do I help someone else find their way into ministry and and find a, a, a place that God can use their gifting so then they can do the same thing and repeat the circle? Turn with me to Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. And I pray that this is familiar ground. If this is the first time you look at these verses, then praise God. May it be the first of many. But Matthew 28, 18 and 19, the Great Commission, Christ's instructions right before He leaves the planet physically. And He gives some instructions to the 12 men that He's been pouring His life into for three years that he's gone through the circle with and taught them what it means to walk with Christ. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And if you look at verse 18 there, go therefore and make disciples. The key word there is make disciples. Matheteo. And that is the controlling verb of this entire passage. As we're going and when we go, we're to make disciples. The baptizing and the teaching describe what it means to make disciples. And and the word there for make disciples, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not make disciples if you feel like it. Jesus is saying make disciples. That's your task. That's your purpose. Go. Do it. That's exciting. If you think about what making disciples means, what is it? Because I think one of the, the hindrances we have as a church to making disciples is it sounds so huge of a task. What is it? And, and the, the verb there for make disciples includes a a large number of things. One of the aspects that includes is the idea of teaching, of passing on information. And it was a verb that was used for a a teacher-student relationship. 
But it, it wasn't just about teaching, because there's, there's other words that were used for just teaching and just passing on information. The key with this word for make disciples is that it always involved relationship. When we think teacher-student, you may think of colleges where a professor standing up there and there's 400 of you in a room. Not a lot of relationship going on, right? The word here is what would be used for Jesus spending three years with 12 men and then following everywhere he went and copying everything he did. See, it was more than passing on information. It was passing on traditions and a lifestyle. And we, we know from understanding the rabbi-disciple relationship that oftentimes the, the rabbi, the teacher, would walk first and the disciples would literally walk right behind him in a line, in his footsteps. But figuratively, that was a symbolic that they would watch the life of the master and copy everything he did. That's what the disciples did for three years. They watched the life of Christ and he was teaching them to copy what he was doing. And so we have this idea of follow the leader. And if I was to grab a few of you, and I'm not going to do it this morning, but if I was to grab a couple of you, maybe Phil and, and then Andrew and maybe um, Malachi, and, and, and said, okay, get in the line here, and we'll go from oldest to youngest, and I, and I gave you a few tasks to do. I'd like you to go up to the balcony and um, do a couple things, maybe take the table down up there. And Phil was the one leading it, and then Andrew would be right behind Phil copying everything he did. And then Malachi would be right behind Andrew copying everything Andrew did. Now, who's, who's Malachi really copying? Phil, right? Because, because Andrew's copying Phil, Malachi's copying Andrew. Now, now, who's Phil copying? God, right? I mean, not, not that in this case we have a God figure, but in discipleship, as, as the, the discipler is imitating a life of walking with God, the person being discipled is to copy them. Because by copying them, they're focusing on Christ. And then the one they disciple then copies them, and it becomes this sequence of discipleship where we are imitating Christ. Another word that's used in the New Testament for, for imitate is mimitate. Sort of mimic that idea. And a couple verses that actually Paul uses this concept over and over and over again, even more than, than the word for discipleship. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, I urge you then, be imitators of me. And so Paul is saying, imitate me. I'm discipling you. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in, in every church. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul describes what we were just describing. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. As I am of Christ. Because everything in discipleship is to point back to imitating Christ. But we're being an example of how that happens. So I put in your notes a, a sort of a working definition of to disciple, what it means to disciple. There's all kinds of different definitions of this. I pulled this from a couple of different resources and books. To disciple is an intentional relationship to walk life with another so that you can encourage, equip, and challenge each other with loving accountability to grow in your walk with God. Okay, you all have that memorized? 
Just a short one, right? But there's a couple of things there. It's an intentional relationship to walk life with somebody. Okay, you may not be, be gifted in teaching. You may not have a whole curriculum of how to help someone walk with Christ. But can you walk with Christ and let someone copy you? Every one of us can do that. Every one of us can do that. Every one of us can disciple when we realize it's walking through life and just being open with how we walk with God. And encouraging them to do the same thing. Encourage, equip, and challenge each other with loving accountability to grow in our walks with God. A couple of other, other questions I have in your notes there. When is someone to be discipled? Right away. If they're a believer, they should be being discipled. It's something that as soon as we accept Christ as our Savior, we become His disciples. Not mature yet, not complete yet, but the process of discipleship has begun and should begin. So discipleship is something that happens from the beginning of our Christian life until we leave this earth. Until we are with Christ personally. It's not something that we're ever too mature to be discipled. Are we ever too mature to have a, a brother or sister come alongside of us and say, let's walk the Christian life together and draw closer to God? Are we ever too mature where we now can live a sinless life? Boy, do I wish. But we are here walking and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And discipleship does that together. The other question I put there is who should disciple? Who should disciple? Every believer walking with Christ. Every believer walking with Christ. And, and the model that we would follow at Village is that we, we put together discipling relationships and someone is discipled and taught how to do it. And then even if they've only been a Christian for a year, they start doing it with someone else. Someone younger, or spiritually, someone younger physically, but someone that they can start walking life with and teach how to walk with God. We want to equip people to do that. Now in our theme, Reproduce, Called to Disciple, there's a lot of discussion about the theme. A lot of discussion of, okay, um, we, we have a baby boom at Village. <laughs> Why is that our theme? And, and rather than avoid it as a theme, that illustrates what discipleship's about. And I'm okay if you think about a child and a small child and, and how that relates to, to discipleship. Because when you birth an infant child, do you just leave them in a room by themselves and say, you're good. See you in 16 years when you get your license. No, no, we prosecute that kind of behavior as, as a culture. When we, when a, when a child is born, when a child is birthed, they are, are nurtured, they are cared for, they are fed, they are helped to grow because can they do it on their own? No. A number of you have children under two years old. Can they do it on their own? No. And so I'm okay if we, we take that and we say, okay, how does that apply to discipleship? 
Because so many times we make our goal the conversion. Well, if they just accept Christ, they got their fire insurance, they're on their way to heaven, we're good, yes, let's go on to the next target. And that is not biblical. That is not what Jesus taught. Because Jesus taught that you disciple. You bring them along. You help them grow. You bring them up to love God. You teach them how. Just as you would an infant. So I'm okay if that's what we think about because that will instruct us what discipleship means. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2, 1-4. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4. I'd like to close off our discussion of the theme by just looking at this passage in, in just really a short amount of time. Each of these passages throughout the year we'll spend a little bit more time studying. Today is just to give you a taste. A little preview. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And here we have Paul with his son in the faith. And Paul uses the idea of sons in the faith to to illustrate his discipling relationships. And he's talking to Timothy, and he he gives Timothy some instructions on discipling. And in your notes, I put five secrets to effective discipling. It's It's not everything, but just some tips and some instructions that Paul gives. Starting at verse 1, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul is contrasting him to some people that had walked away from the faith that he talked about in chapter 1. And and he's giving him instructions that include discipleship and include some other instructions. And he starts by saying, Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the first point, if we're to be effective disciplers, we need to focus on God's grace. Focus on on God's grace, because that is what gives strength for the task. You might think, I'm not ready to disciple. I don't know that I have anything to offer. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And Paul's instruction is start by focusing on where your strength comes from. When we say, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, There's two aspects to that. One of those is the grace that leads to salvation. That is unearned, unmerited. And and so many times when we start to question ministry and whether we can do ministry, we need to go back and say, what did God do for me? What did God do for me? And that, that begins to get us in the mindset where we can minister. But here the wording is also that we continue to be in Christ Jesus. We abide in Christ. We're united with Christ. And so we're strengthened by the grace, the unmerited, undeserved help that He gives us. Strength that He gives us. See, God asks us to obey. To go disciple. And He says, I am the one that gives the strength. Same thing in Matthew 28. Right before verse 18, which I have in the notes but I didn't read, was that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And at the end of it is, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, even in the Great Commission, it's I'm the one giving you the strength. So for Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he needs to focus on it. And he needs to depend on it. Depend on it. Thinking back to an infant. 
those of you that are expecting new children in your family, does saying you're not ready to be a parent stop the process? (laughs) That baby's coming. Whether you're ready or not. And in discipleship, our goal is to birth new Christians and then disciple them. And it doesn't matter whether we think we're ready or not because God is the one that gives the strength. And as a new parent, you're not perfect. That doesn't stop you from being a new parent. You're going to make mistakes. Those children are going to help sanctify you as much as you're helping sanctify them. But that doesn't stop. But yet we use that as a way to stop discipleship. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This verse is just packed with things. Our next three points come from this verse. Number two, if we're to be effective disciples, we need to keep growing. We need to keep learning. Make sure you are learning how to walk with God. Catch the beginning of that and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. What's the, what's the assumption there? Timothy has heard the truth. He's putting it into practice. And Paul's calling him back to that. He's calling him back to what he's learned. And, and if we're to offer something to someone else, it's not that we have to have a doctor's doctorate in, in the subject. We have to be growing. There is nothing that disciples better than coming together and saying, you know what, this is what God taught me this week. This is the struggle I was having, and this is how he got me through it. That's discipling. That's more effective than saying, let's look at these 25 points out of this verse, which is, I guess, what I do. So what has God taught you? There's a major accountability to teach someone else. It keeps us growing. Those that that teach, you you know what I'm talking about. When you study a passage to teach to someone else, who gets more out of it? You do, every time. When you disciple, it will help you get more out of what you're talking about. Because God is at work. One of the ways that we are encouraging you to keep growing this year is we're starting the rooted reading over. Yesterday ended the first two years. Today starts the next two years. And what I'd like to encourage you to do, if you're able, this next year, is not only to read it, but to listen to it. To listen to it. God's Word was originally read verbally, and people would hear it. And there is something special about hearing it. I've done this before, and there's times that I'm going back to the Bible and thinking, that wasn't in there. They've added words. (laughs) And every time it's there, I'm like, wow! Because there's a different way of processing it. Some of you might say, well, how do I do that? There are more resources to do that today than there ever have been. More free resources. We did this as a church seven, ten years ago, something like that, and we we had to buy the CDs. Now you can get the MP3s online. Um, If you go to our website and if you go to the... the, Can we pull that up, Don? The Rooted Reading under Resources, the Rooted Reading Plan. If you scroll down, there's a number of listening resources that you can go to. And you can go to the Faith Comes by Hearing website and download or listen from there. You can um, see a podcast of the ESV that you can put on your iPhone. There's an app that I mentioned, a smartphone app, that I can actually listen to anything and it'll it'll read the Bible to me. Or you can just go to the website and and he's pulling up Mark chapter 1 and you hit play. Mark. 
Mark 1 The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's good. As Thank you. We could listen to that all day, too. It's easy. It's easy. I encourage you to listen to God's word this year and see what God might do. Keep growing. Third point there, pass on what you know. Pass on what you know. Paul uses the word entrust. That that you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men. And it's passing it on with seriousness. Passing it on to people that will, will do something with it, that will keep it safe. And it's a command that Paul gives to Timothy. It includes the idea of teaching. It includes the idea of letting someone watch your life, participate in your life, telling them what you know. This is the feeding part of it, just like we would take a baby and feed them, but to take it seriously. The fourth point there is we need to choose godly. Yes, that needs to be a bigger sentence, but just remember, choose godly. And the idea is to choose godly men and women that we will invest in. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, entrust to just anyone. He says, entrust to faithful men who will keep it, who will be serious about it, who will not change the doctrine when they pass it on, and who will be willing to do the same thing. See, the goal here is to pass it on. And in this text, we see four generations of Christians right here. This is the model. Paul is the first generation of Christian. Timothy is who he's instructed, second generation. What's the instruction to Timothy? Entrusted to faithful men, the third generation, with the purpose of them going to a fourth generation. And so discipleship has always been intended to be one that is a reproducing relationship that we then pass those on to others. I have a little chart here that's really fascinating that will help us clarify the the goal here. Let's say that I went out and was able to um, witness and bring one person a day to Christ. Wouldn't that be neat? If one person a day to Christ, and then the next day I went on to someone else and brought them to Christ. First year, we'd see 365 new believers. Second year, 730, and it's additive. So by the time 15 years is over, we have 5,400 new believers. Incredible, right? Now let's say we used a discipling strategy, and in any given one year, I chose one man and and helped them come to Christ and taught them how to live for Christ, and then the next year we both chose someone else. And then the next year those four chose someone else. The next column has that information. Discipling one person. Year, year one, that's two people. Year two, four, year three, eight, doesn't look like we're having good results. But as you go down, if you look at the bottom, after 15 years, that's 32,000 people discipled. Just with a change of strategy. Now at Village, we're actually recommending, we'll be recommending that you, you meet and disciple with two other people at the same time. Not, not two different meetings, but a group of three. So what happens if you had a group of three? First year, three people. Second year, nine people. Third year, 27. Look at the year 15. 14 million. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to get 14 million people to accept Christ, but you see the principle of multiplication. This is a wiser use of our resources, a wiser use of our time, 
because now we're reproducing people that can reproduce rather than just helping someone come to Christ and leaving them on the side of the road. Do you see the difference? That's what we want to be about this year and explore. Last point on your list, and it comes from the the next couple of verses, verses 3 and 4. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Point number five is we need to eradicate distractions. I thought of words like avoid, let go of, None of them captured what, what the verses are saying here. It's got to be intentional and, and strong, annihilate, eradicate. We have got to be committed enough to the task of discipleship that we are committed enough to, to eradicate anything that keeps us from it. As the soldier is disciplined in war, he's to be single-minded. We can't be distracted in other things. Imagine with a newborn... If, if you just had so many things going in life that you forgot to watch them a day. Maybe forgot to feed them a couple days. No, a, a parent has to be single, single-minded, single right? Y- y- your focus is that newborn. When we think about discipleship, it's about focusing with that kind of dogged determination. Seeing what God might do. I ask you on your notes there. I don't have it written there. But I would ask you to write down, to think about two names and write them down. Not that you'll turn in and not that we're starting discipleship today, although in in some ways we are because we're, we're to be doing that constantly. But you're not making a commitment here other than can you write down two names that God would put on your heart to pray for this year? Pray for their spiritual walks, Pray for where they are with Christ. Pray for the the, the things that happen in their lives. Just two names. Maybe younger than you in the faith, maybe younger than you physically. Because this applies to everyone. Some of you are in, in junior high and high school here. This applies to you. You write down two names of people younger than you. And you start passing it on even with with what you know now. Because there are people younger than you here. Write down two names and let's see what God might do this year. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I am so excited, so excited to see what you will do with the people that are willing to help each other grow, to help each other walk with God. Lord, it's, it's a long road. It's a road that takes determination, a road that takes focus, but a road that is exactly what you have asked us to do. Lord, may we be a church that puts feet to our claim that we are about discipling our community for you. This year, Lord, I pray that you will do something incredible and something special here at Village as we train people to to walk with you. Not leaving it up to the pastor or the elders, but taking that on as each of our responsibilities. But I can't wait to see what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.